everyone, we are back. So today I have a special guest. I have Hanson Wong with me. Hanson, how are you doing? I'm doing well with yourself. I am good. So um, I wanted to introduce you to the audience. So let me know if I have this correct. You are the manager of G League and international scouting for the Indiana Pacers, and you've been with the team for 16 years now. Is that correct? Since 2004, 2005. So 05 was my first season. So it's about, right, about 15, 16. Yeah, so, you know, I wanted to ask you, first of all, when you're working for a team, so do you have a lot of Pacers merchandise? Like, are you just wearing Pacers gear all the time, or is that not something that you do? You know what? Like, when I first started it, my first season as an intern, that's back in the day. Like, now times are different like, time like now we're in a different era now but like back in the days when i was an intern like i did not know that interns were not supposed to get gear so when i first started it i got nothing so i just showed up whatever i like with what what what, what whatever i had at the time so i kind of like forced their hand to give me some gears and um so after a while uh, one of the coaches asked the equipment manager to give me some gear. I got one T-shirt for a while, one T-shirt, and I just kept wearing that like day, like every single day. I went to work for a while. Then afterwards, um, and and other assistant coach, he somehow got like some sort of gift certificate, or he just used his company credit card. So he took me to the gift shop, the Pacers team store. And we just picked out a bunch of stuff. So I got stuff to get by that first year. So because to me, I just thought that if I work here, you want me to wear, wear the team stuff, you guys should give it to me. So like that's that, that that's my thinking. But afterward, like when I became full time, then like every year you got a whole box of stuff, especially when you were with uh, when I when I was uh, with the coaching staff. So like I got box of stuff and bunch of shoes, all that stuff. So for like a long time. So yeah, so um, like I like you are supposed to wear the team gears when you are when you work for the team, especially when you are with the coaching staff and players all the time. But now I'm in the front office, so now it's more like business casual. Like you wear slacks, sometimes jeans and polo shirt. So now it's less. I mean, I don't really show up with my patient stuff all the time, but like back in the days, yes, I wear them every single day yeah you know that's all that's all i would want a job with an nba team for is that free box every year hansen and i'll probably get fired within the first six months because i'll just be asking players for their shoes and their game worn jerseys that's what i would be doing <laughs> you know doubt you know what like i wish my feet were bigger because i got small feet so those shoes would never fit me but like most like most of mo, mo, especially the video guys that they spend a lot of time on the on the court they and players they are pretty nice about it too they would say hey take this take that so like it's good but like my feet they are just too small to fit into anybody's shoes so i was in a disadvantage there so i never really got any shoes with the players yeah you know that's um and, and you know it's funny because obviously they, they wear like sizes that wouldn't fit us at all but those would be great for display is all i'm saying yes but like if you get like size 12 you're good size 12 or 13 you're pretty good for pretty much everything but like even though i've been getting a lot of gears throughout the years like up to this day i still would not pass up 
on any free gears from anything. And that's yeah. just me. That's no, just that's me. A, that's but, that's a, that's an Asian mentality, Hanson. Yeah, but the thing is, it's driving my wife crazy too. So like <laughs> now that like we're in pandemic, uh, we try to clean up our garage, and uh, we got so much stuff, my shoes and my. My 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 old uh, team gears they were all Adidas so like I I, I kind of got like I got transitioned into uh, the front office why when we got why when the NBA switched from Adidas to Nike so I kind of miss all the good stuff now so I kind of like got a bunch of Adidas stuff so I would kind of like been trying to give those out to my friends and family so that's what I've been doing. That's amazing. You said you started. Was it two thousand and four? You said two thousand four. Yep. So were you there when the Pacers Pistons the Malice at the Palace brawl happened? Well, I was part of the team, but I was not physically there because, like, I didn't. Tr- I I was just an intern, so I did. I did not travel. So, so at that night, I I, st- I can still remember that. Like that night, it was. Uh, we have another uh, video coordinator. And myself, so like in the video room back then, there's only like two full-time video coordinator, one head video coordinator, and one assistant video coordinator, and myself as I uh, as an intern. So the head video coordinator travel with the team, and uh, the assistant and myself we stay back for uh, for 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 every away game. So what we do, what we did at the time is when the game was going live. And we would, uh, we at the time we only have like one computer that to capture film and break down film. So uh, he would, he would like, like we call it live logging. The the the, the game would breaking down. We like he would break down uh, the game possession by possession. So after the game is over, like we would like, we would run all those different edits and into v, uh, VHS tape. Then I would physically drive those tape to the airport. And put those tape on uh, each coach's car, so when they get on the plane, they get all the what they need, and they will just go home from the from from the airport. So, so that day, uh, I remember that we were absolutely destroying the Pistons. The game wasn't even close. Um, by the time that incidents happened, the game was already over. So, I vividly remember. One Artest laying on the scoring table, and then one of the assistant coach kind of walked over there, kind of put his hand on 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 one's chest, and we were just thinking nothing's gonna uh, happen. Then all of a sudden, I saw somebody get like, a plastic cup of beer threw right at him. Then all of then then the rest of history that he got up and everybody just like would go and wild and. That kind of like set the franchise back for a few years, but yes, but I could say that that was my uh, first season with the team, and and that Pacers team. I mean, that's probably one of the best teams I ever been around. Like, because I believe we were the favorite to come out of the East or on and possibly winning the whole thing too. So that's kind of set us back a little bit. Yeah, I think what people don't remember is that that Pacers team was, like you said, considered a favorite or at least a co-favorite with the Pistons. And the thing people don't remember about that game is the Pacers went into Detroit and dominated them, right? 
and, yeah, from and the, that from was... the from, from 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 the beginning to almost to the end, say that like that was, that that game wasn't even close. Yeah, and that was part of the reason why uh, Ben Wallace and Ron Artest got into that shoving match at the end, because they the Pacers had embarrassed the Pistons, and, and then you guys play them in the second round, and obviously with um, some of the players suspended and, and things things like that. Do you believe that if the that team, that Pacers team, was full strength, that it, it would have made the finals that year? I think so. Like we have to, we had 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 the prime Ron Artest. I like, I don't I'm like I. I don't think people understand how good Juan Artest really was. I mean, and then we had, and at the same time, we had Jermaine O'Neal. Uh, we still had Reggie. Then we had uh, um, Jamal Tinsley. Um, then we have uh, Stephen Jackson coming off the bench. You know, like all those guys. It's like Fred Jones. Like, that's, it was a pretty good team. Yeah, I mean, Ron Artest back then, he was like, one of the top two-way players in the whole league. Yeah, I've never seen anybody like that. It's like with that, that kind of size, um, like that with his skills, um, and then with his defensive ability that they can, he can pretty much guard anybody. And his work ethics is incredible. I've never seen anybody like work himself out into like throwing up. Like that's how intense he 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 he, he was. So like it was something to see. So, you know, I definitely want to get into your career, but it's, you know, funny going back and looking at these different Pacers teams. You've been with the team, like you said, since 2004. What do you think it says about the Pacers organization that they've never really, I know it's never been a goal for the organization to tank and kind of bottom out. They always want to remain competitive, but that's not, I mean, teams want to do that, but it's not like every team always succeeds in doing that but the Pacers have done that they've just always been you know competitive making the playoffs almost every year what do you think it says about the organization for them to have been able to sustain that through different eras of players well I think just I I I believed as an organization we have a pretty good foundation and I think if you look at our staff from the coaching staff or in the front office you always see some uh, continuity like like you always have, we always have people that throughout different periods that we still got some, 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 someone because like like a bridge gap to the next, next group of people coming in. Like on the coaching staff, we one of the assistant coach, uh, Dan Burke, he's been with us when uh, he was actually he might have been the first video coordinator for the Pacers. Like he came in with Larry Bird. Uh, he uh, when Larry Bird came to the Pacers as a head coach, he then came to the Pacers with him as a video coordinator. So like he's been with us for this long, and then you look at in the front office like like Donnie is still with us as a consultant, and uh, Larry Bird is in is in a similar role. So like so all this knowledge being passed down and. And I think, and 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 another uh, uh, credit that go to our owner, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Herb Simon, uh, that uh, that he just like, all like always want us to do our best to win games, to be competitive, and just uh, so so like so we don't have to go through those like some some of some sometimes you you said teams tank or maybe go through some tough time to rebuild. 
and we just keep building on whatever we have at the time and just keep uh, 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 hopefully we can put more pieces together to play as a really solid group to win games because if you look at the teams that Pacers have throughout the history like I mean we don't really have like one superstar like some of the teams like like uh, like LeBron James or maybe uh, like a Michael Jordan we always just have we look at our starting five we always have like a really solid starting five we, really, we always have like solid players at every single position that they can contribute and so we play as a group so I think that's what keep us uh, competitive and consi- consistent throughout all these years yeah and I assume you watched The Last Dance like everyone else did Yes, I have. I, I try not to watch them uh, when they first came out because I kind of want to wait for a little bit and just watch them all at once. But then I, it got to a point that we didn't have that much to do. So on Sunday night, I just oh, turned it to the ESPN, so I watched it. Yep, I did. <laughs> what was it like watching the Pacers-Bulls from 98? You know what? Like that, it didn't really resonate with me that much because I... Gotta, I, I admit, back in the day, I wasn't really a Pacers fan. Like, growing, like, growing up, I, like, I didn't even know what, where Indiana was, not, not, not to mention Indiana Pacers. So, uh, so, like, I wasn't really a big Pacers fan, but I did know Reggie Miller. So, at the time, you know, growing up in Hong Kong, like, you really didn't have that many options when it comes to NBA basketball, you just watch whatever they put it on put on TV. So 97, 98, I think I've already come to the States. Actually, I was in college. But at, the, at, at that time, I don't think I was a Pacers fan either. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I grew up in Hong Kong too. And for sure in the 90s, the Bulls were the only team that you knew. If mm-hmm. you were an NBA fan there, maybe a little later, you know, obviously people started gravitating towards like a Kobe Bryant or even, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and the magic teams, but it was definitely just the bulls. So I want to get into the the story of your career. Um, You know, we had connected for a story that uh, I've been working on for ESPN, the undefeated about Asian coaches and Asian in basketball. And I thought your story was really interesting. And that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast because a lot of my listeners are Asian or basketball fans or, or, you know, both. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think, I think they would find your story interesting. So you mentioned you grew up in Hong Kong and you came to the U S as an international student to study at the university of Minnesota. That's correct. Right. So we can uh, actually a little earlier. So I came to the States in 95 as an exchange student I, uh, in, in high school. So at first, in, 90, in, in 95, I went to a town called Crookston in Minnesota. It's, in, it's located in northwestern Minnesota, right on the border between North Dakota and Minnesota. So when you flew there like when i when I, when I flew there i had to fly into grand fork north dakota then my host family at the time it took, i think drive about an hour to pick me up from the little airport then just go to the then 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 
then we went back to the house. So I spent a year there. So after that year, we went back to Hong Kong for a few months. Like doing that, doing do, doing doing that year, I start applying for colleges uh, because like I don't like like when did you uh, move to uh, Toronto? I moved to Toronto in '93, late '93. I want to say '93 or '94. So how, how old were you at the time? Um, I was nine. So like you didn't like you didn't have to go through the secondary school or all this examinations and stuff. So like you know in Hong Kong they got that HKCE, the Hong Kong Certificate of Examination or something like that. Like when you get to some called Form Five, which is equivalence to 11th grade in the States, you have to take that exam, which is like a big deal before you advance to your academic career. And when I was a student in Hong Kong, I was a below average at best student. So I absolutely did terrible in that exam. So I had no chance to even keep moving up in my academic career in Hong Kong. Yeah, so and I, I think and I think people don't know too, but like, you know, the Hong Kong edu- educational system is, is very competitive, right? Yeah, like you like you really had to study. Like I'm not gonna say study as like you really had to spend time to study. I did not do that. Like I spent too much time playing video games. I didn't even understand study hard or work hard was like so like I thought I mean I passed all the like I I I got passing grades, you know, like um like there was like some subjects that I was extremely good at, like history, like Chinese history, I was very good at. But then other than that, I was not good at anything else, like not to mention English. But then like when I got my results for the exam, and it's a funny story though, this is a really funny story, it's kind of interesting. So at the beginning of that year, like a friend of mine, at school at the time, we saw this poster in my school in Hong Kong. It talked about this uh, uh, exchange student program go to the U.S. So we looked at it, and this this an orientation somewhere that we can go and just learn more about it. I told, and then I asked my friends, "Hey, you want to go check it out?" Because like my mom, for some reason, always wanted me to like leave the house for a little bit because I was sheltered, like so I can see the world for uh, a little more. So she always wanted to to go into uh, this kind of programs, but like as we all may know, like program like that's not for students like me. Usually they take those best students, like students that can, that they got good grades. So I would just like my 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 thought was just go check it out and see. I mean, it doesn't hurt. So like my friend and I went there. Like after uh, after the. The, that 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 orientation, like my friend was like, "There's no way they're gonna take us," so he didn't apply for them. For some reason, I went forward with that. I apply, I have to take like a written exam, like uh, oral exam, and knowing there is no chance I would get selected to be one of those exchange students. So after I finished all that, like I didn't even really think twice about it. But then like. So like keep keep I kept moving forward with my school year like take the do the exam, and during this that year for like surprisingly I got selected like I was one of the thirty students got selected into the program, and then at the same time 
so usually when you get selected, they will tell you, okay, this is your host family. We got your host family. This is where you go. And before, for some reason, I think that was doing. That was during the time that ninety, so during ninety four, ninety five, like the U.S. economy wasn't that great, so they couldn't find me a host family for the longest time, longest time. So, so like fast forward a little bit. So the day that I got my results of the exam, when I took my report card. From school, I looked at it. I said, "Man, this is not good." So, for your listeners who don't understand how this works, this exam work is like for a student that to go from form five to form six, you have to get score at least fourteen points on that exam. So it's like if you get an A, it's five point. B is、uh, four, three. Then like C is three point, D is two, E is one point. E, if you get E, you just barely pass. And I pretty much got all E and one D, so I got seven points. So I'm not even close to fourteen points to to even advance to my to the form six. So I call my parents. Hey, I only got seven points. I don't know what to do. So then my mom was like, "All right, come back first. We、like, come home first. We figure it out." So apparently. During my journey from school to my parents' house,、uh, to 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 my house, my parents got a call from that exchange program. Say, "Hey, we found a host family for your son, and he's leaving in ten days." So that's how this whole thing started. Like so, in the like so from that day to the day of departure, about ten days, we got everything. Uh, like got my got my got my student visa, got all this money, buy clothes and whatever it is. So, so, so like that was my that that's the very first time I left Hong Kong on my own to go to a completely new country. Since that day, then I've been the rest of history. I'm still here. So, and I, let let me tell you how I picked colleges too back in the day. Like I didn't even pick college based on the academic standard. <laughs> I bought the sport. I bought the sport. I bought those like basketball magazines, college basketball magazine. I just applied for the top twenty-five program in all the on 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 the top twenty-five ranking, and I still couldn't get in some of those schools. <laughs> what was the What was the school when you were going through that magazine that you you really wanted to、I、go got, to? Oh, at first I really want to go to、uh, USC Southern California because at the time you do when. Do you remember Harold Miner, Baby Jordan? Yeah, I do. Yeah, because he went to like he like, he went there, and somehow like that kind of like resonated in my head. So I really wanted to go there. Uh, then I applied for that. I couldn't get in. I applied for Arizona, and that was when they had my BB and all those guys. I couldn't get in. Um, I did I apply for Kentucky? I probably did, but I got a bunch of different applications. But then like I also applied for University of Minnesota because I was there. Uh, not because I mean apparently I mean obviously Minnesota wasn't like that great. I mean I didn't even know much about the school anyway. But I said you know I'm gonna apply for it anyway. So, but like、uh, I didn't get in any of those schools because they said like my grade is not enough,、uh, not high enough, and and I had to take a test called、uh, the the TOEFL test is called the test of English or foreign language. 
So like I was, I sucked at that test too. I, 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 I never got good score out of that either. So, so end up, I went to a, uh, college in New Jersey named uh, Freddie Dickinson University in Teaneck, New Jersey for a year. So I went there, I get, I got good grades again and I reapplied to some of the schools that I applied before and Minnesota pretty much, uh, uh, admitted me like immediately when yeah so you you did an undergrad in in business focus on finance and management of information systems and then you did grad school there so tell the story of how you ended up becoming uh the video coordinator for the men's basketball team right yeah so um thing is uh when i was in undergrad like working in sports just never crossed my mind like, it's not to me it's like it's not even an option. Like we kind of talked about it before when we talked the first time. It's just that, like in in the Chinese culture, culture like sport is a game for it's it's a it's almost like a child play. It's not real. It's not work. It's not a real job. You can't make a living by playing sport or working in sports. So, so that option was never on my mind so like you all you always try to go the more practical path so uh at the time uh university of minnesota had a pretty good uh business school it's a like top 25 uh in the country and and also at the time they their uh management of information system was ranked number one uh, in the country, the program was win number one in the country. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna go for it. That might be, and then, and I've always was decent with computers. So I said, and 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 I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go do that. After I graduate uh, with the finance and and my MIS degree, I couldn't find a job. Like, prefer, I mean, first of all, it was kind of tough even to get an internship as an as an as an international student, and then. A lot of companies didn't even want to interview people that didn't that 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 did not have a green card. So I was like thinking, like, what should I do? Like, and I always liked basketball or sports in 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 general. So, so I talked to my parents and said, hey, how about if I try to go to grad school, maybe try to do something different? And they were supportive about it. So I looked up. The different programs in our schools and found it like in kinesiology you can get a that's a you can you, have, you can have different emphasis in uh kinesiology degree so they have one that you can do sports management so i applied for it and i got in and so that's how like it's kind of like a really fortunate coincidence that in one of my uh grad courses uh there's a guy in my class he was uh the assistant coach for the men's track team uh and uh there was one time i i did not know at the time but then there was one time i was on my like those it support support call and i was going to different people's office and at one time i went into his office i i I was in his office helping him out stuff, and then we start we then then we started talking, and then we found out like we were both in the same class together. So, 
So I would, uh, then like that's one day he was like, uh, his name is Mario Satang. Like, I think he's in Arkansas right now. Like he was a head track coach for University of Texas for a while. But like he 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 asked me say, hey Anson, like is there anything I can like we pay you because like you've always been helping me with all that stuff. So I just joking. He said, hey, how about you help me get a job with the men's basketball team? Just I mean I didn't even think twice about it. I just, didn't expect anything. Then, then he uh, he followed through. Uh, he talked to the uh, head track coach at the time, uh, Phil Landine. And crazy thing is that Phil actually went to talk to the basketball the basketball head coach for me at the time, Dan Munson. And that's how then I we set up a, 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 a like a meet like a interview or meeting so i went in there to talk to coach munson and along with other coaches and then he was like well i don't really have anything but i can offer you a volunteer job as a video coordinator and and, and at that time i didn't even know what video coordinator was so i was like cool i take I, I do it so that's how i got into uh the the got my first coming get, get, get my foot in the door in basketball yeah, and, and how many years until you ended up going to the Pacers from there? Not long, um, because in grad school, so I finished my degree in like two and a half years. So like I was with the uh, uh, Minnesota basketball program for two years. So yeah, so like uh, so during those time, like like uh, at the time my first year with the program. Uh, like Kurt, the Kerwin, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers head coach JB Bickerstaff, uh, he was a former golfer. Uh, he played for us uh, before, but when I got to work for the team, he was a director of basketball operations. So that's how I met him, and he was only doing that job for a year because the second year he left and became a radio caller analyst the Minnesota Timberwolves but like so but like why he was with the like why he was with, the, with doing the uh, radio thing uh, with the Timberwolves I kind of like I, I just kept bugging him like every week not daily basis but like every other day I'll call him hey JB hey can you help me out like I'm about to graduate and like I'm, I'm about to graduate like at the end of this year can you help me out and see if there's any opportunity with different teams and stuff so 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 that then, then like I just kept keeping in touch with him and then there's one day he called me out of the blue said hey uh he was like hey Hanson um uh, get your resume ready uh I am coming to the to the golfers game tomorrow uh, so like give me your resume and I can hook you up with an uh, interview with the uh, with the Pacers so that's how I got hooked up with the Pacers it's because of him yeah and I think was Mike Brown an assistant at the time and because I think Mike had coached under JB's dad Bernie in, in Denver right like they had known each other um, yes. and had a relationship so so did you yeah. um so when you uh, give the resume to JB and you know I assume you get an interview with the Pacers what do you remember about that interview process and the hiring process yeah. so yeah um, so like funny thing was that Mike Brown was assistant coach for the Pacers at the time and he actually coach Brown started his uh, NBA career with uh, 
JB stay at Bernie in Denver. So that's how that how that's how the connection uh uh established. Like so Pace has got my resume. So their video coordinator at the time emailed me and told me about the internship. And at the time it's like uh it's like this is the the we, we are interviewing uh this and that. And but it wasn't paid, so I'm saying, man, it wasn't paid. Like it's kind of tough, so I didn't really do anything about it. Then after a while, actually, I was back in Hong Kong working on my uh, working on my research for my uh, master's degree, and then I would just saw this ad got posted on the NCAA job posting site. It's for this same internship, and it says it has monthly stipend. So I immediately reached out to uh, this uh, guy, the video coordinator at the time, Derek Pierce. He's with the Hawks right now, doing it in the front office. So I said, "Hey, Derek, uh, I saw that uh, your internship is has monthly stipend now. So, uh, so can I try to apply it again?" He said, "Yeah, sure. Just send send uh, just send your resume in again." So I sent it again, and then. I hear back from them pretty much right away. Said, "Hey, we want to uh, schedule an interview." So I said, "Okay, um, I will be back to the stage in a couple of weeks, and uh, I can be there as soon as I can. That's fine." So I showed up. So basically, when I got back to Minnesota, I bought a plane tickets to uh, to go to Indiana, like early morning flight. You know, get up at four, get there by like. Nine or something. Go to go to go to the interview. So, so I was thinking like doing an interview. Like you gotta dress up nice. So I got my suit on. The, my own the, the my one and only suit at the time showed up. Walked in there. Didn't know what to expect, but like everybody was in t shirt and shorts. Very very informal. Walked in there in the this tiny little video room, and there weren't that many questions. Being asked of me, and at the time it's like the head video coordinator, the assistant video coordinator, Coach Danberg, and another assistant coach there. They just told me, "Well, oh, this is the job that what you're gonna do." Like this, I still remember this day. Dan, Dan was saying, told uh, Dan told me that, "Well, this job is not for you to come hang out with the player. Just come in and get your job done, and that's it." I said, "Okay, cool." So I just said, "I mean, that's." Pretty much the whole interview. That's really not much. They asked me a couple of questions, but nothing in depth. So, so they just said, "Well, we're done. So, uh, let's just chill out here for 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 a while. Then we take you to lunch, and uh, then we send you send send you on your way back home." I was like, "Cool." So I sat there. Then all of a sudden, a guy come in comes into the, uh, the 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 video room, and that was the head coach at the time, Rick Carlisle. He looked at me. He said, "Hey, I'm Rick." He said, "He he 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 shake my hand." He said, "He he introduced himself to me." He said, "I'm Rick Carlos." So then I said, "I'm handsome one." Then he looked at me. He said, "He's like, like he said, like, what are you all, all dressed up for?" But I said, "She's like, what are you all dressed up for?" So I'm like, "Uh," he said, "Well, I guess I should dress nice for interviews." Then he was like, "Oh yeah, you look nice." Then he then he left. That's it. He left. So I just said that I sat there. Then like nobody was talking to me. They did. Everybody was minding their own business. So I just sat there. Then 
probably probably like two minutes later, he came back again with baseball gloves, two baseball gloves. Then he said, "Hey, uh, you play baseball?" I said, "Yeah, I play a little bit first base." Then he threw me one of the gloves. Then said, "Let's go." Then then then, then the next thing he said, "Let's go play, play catch." I said, "What?" <laughs> so so we like. Like this back, like so we walked out to the hallway. The hallway is not that big. We are all still inside of the locker room. So the locker room is like they got weight room, then the players locker room, then they got coaches office. We just in we are we are in the hallway within the locker room and we're playing catch. And I still remember there were players lifting in the weight room. And I remember Jermaine O'Neal was in there lifting. And then like with Carlisle and I were playing baseball catch. Can we, we just go and like like back and forth? And I was in I, I was in full on suit with my jacket on. I was throwing all this stuff. I was say, man, he got a pretty good arm. Then he start throwing me ground ball. He say, okay, then they would say, let me see you feel some grounders. I'm like, what is going on here? So I was like catching ground ball in the in in the locker room and throwing back to them. That's it. Like, That's it. And he get done and said, pretty good. Then I sent me back in there and they told me to lunch. And a couple of weeks later, then uh, Coach Dan Burke called me and said, I was at Target shopping with a friend of mine. And he would then 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 call me and ask, Hey, how do you how do you want to work for the patients? I was like, Great. I said, so the in the following week I was down there, down 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 in Indiana. Uh what uh sort of my internship but i up then i after a while i asked um i asked them why did you guys pick me i mean so apparently i think they interviewed five people at the time and in all those interviews like my interview was the only time that coach carla was there so i was the only person he met and he so so that's one thing he said one day, uh like I heard that one day like Coach Carlisle just walked in there and say so, <laughs> he, I don't know exactly what he said, but something like say, Where's that warm guy? So that's how I got the job. So just just, just by him coming in because he remembers me. Where's that warm guy? So he that's how I got the job. So that's yeah. the I think that's it. That's amazing. Do you still keep in touch with Rick when you see him like, you know? In different NBA cities and things like that, do you guys keep in touch? Yeah, like if I see him, I walk up to him. We like we we, we catch up, we say hi. So like that's a that, that's always one thing that I try to do is like whoever that I come across that I work with or work for before, that if I see him, whenever I see him to see uh, see them, I will always try to uh, say hi to them just to catch up a little bit. Like even to this day, like JB Bigger Step, I would text him once in a while just to uh, just to just to say hi and keep in touch. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, like, I had a chance to talk to Rick about Mike Brown. I actually did a story about Mike Brown. And he told me that Mike would always, like, bring his suits in and, like, iron his underwear in his office and things like that. Do you remember any of that about Mike? <laughs> like, I didn't travel with him, but he did say one thing. He is very, he he, he is very, he has a, he has a, a method of packing his uh, luggages. So he's always ironing and stuff. You know, I, I will tell you this though, Coach named McMillan the same way too. He's always ironing. Like that was one thing that I learned when I was traveling with the coaches, a couple of them. Uh, Cause I back like before, I didn't iron my stuff. I always took my stuff to uh, 
to dry clean. So two coaches that that stand out when it comes to ironing that makes me start ironing my stuff. Uh, one is Brian Shaw, the other one is Coach Nate McMillan. I'm like, I look at them and say, man, these two former NBA players, if they could iron their own shirts, why couldn't I iron my own thing? So, I, so that's how that's when I started ironing my own clothes. So, so I stopped going to dry clean. That's amazing. So work wise, you know, what do you remember about the early days of being with the Pacers? And I know you obviously had experience at the University of Minnesota, but what was the learning curve like on a day to day basis when you first started? Well, like I would say that um, it's it it was different because I really didn't know what to expect. Even like when I was a video coordinator for the University of Minnesota, like I was more like a student manager. So like most of the time, I just tell people that I was a manager for 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 Minnesota during those two years. So I think very like I think is a that 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 two years as a manager really. When we kind of gave me, like, opened my eyes a little bit, is that the kind of, the kind of work ethics that you have to have, to be successful, to uh, to work in, uh, 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 in 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 the in the sport industry uh, as a manager, like I had, to, like I had to do everything, like, like you are, you you have to be there early, set up practices, uh, set up all the all the practices. You want the shot clock, like you are in drills. You want the camera, you do the laundry, you know, like doing games, you got all these different jobs, so you're there all day. So it's pretty much like if you're a manager, like that kind of work ethic is ingrained in your brain, so you just automatically do all this stuff. But I, but in, uh, but in college, like, but, but I didn't know like what to expect in the, uh, at the NBA level. Uh, so like, like even though I kind of have a little taste in uh, in college, even though when I was in college, I was able like they didn't they didn't have me do everything that the managers did because I'm not really the full on managers. So I was more like I handled all the film exchange, you know, like the film and the practice and stuff. So so there was some stuff that I didn't have to do. Uh, but like when I get to the NBA, uh, it's just like. Man, those long hours just like it. It's just crazy. Like, like I think in college we at the time I think our program, I probably nowadays you don't really have weekends anymore. Like, like we, like, I, I could still have some time off in in college a little bit, but then when I get to the NBA was an as a video interns, man, I didn't know that that was that kind of long hours. Uh, that kind of like it's like. Uh, 80 hours a week at, at the very least and seven days a week so it kind of hit me a little bit about like uh but like the one thing that that that, that stand out the most is like like how much time you have to spend at in the office to work because like back in the day like we only had one computer that can do the video uh most coaches they were using uh, VCR and DVD players. So, my main job is uh, my main job at the time was to uh, tape all the games that we needed for scouting purposes. Uh, I recorded uh, every single practice, um, and basically was just a runner. You know, like 
I have one around like for to get lunches for everybody, you know, like one of the players want me. Uh, I mean, at the time we, I didn't really get on the court because like back in the day, video guys, you don't get out of the room. You're just in the room the whole time. So we, it just like, to like you, they, even though I was working with, uh, uh, for a basketball team at the time, I really did not see the basketball and the court that much. I was in the video room like pretty much every day. Yeah, when did you go from intern to uh, a full time with the Pacers? Uh, the following year, so oh four oh five was my intern year. So oh five oh six was my uh, full time year as an yeah. assistant video coordinator. And at what point, or was there a point where you started maybe interacting with players more? You know, giving more input. Like, how did your role change? Um, I think uh, my first few years, we I pretty much. Did, the similar things like like players know kind of know who you are but they really don't i still remember like my first year like because i took what dan uh dan Berg told me to the heart and said well this job is not for the hang of the players so i i rarely spoke to the players at all so at the time my first year so like because i show up before everybody else I get in a video room and I start doing my work. So like some like players kind of know who I was, but they don't really know. Like, and then like, uh, so that was one time. This story, like one time, I forgot what game that was. Before a game, Reggie Miller's kind of like poke his head into the video room. And say, hey, so I look back and I say, "What's up?" They look, they look at me, and they turn around, <laughs> walk walk into. <laughs> Turn around and walk into the players' locker room and say, "Hey, you know what happened?" He told the players that he spoke to me. He meaning me. He said he spoke to me. So because I never, I because <laughs> we never had a conversation. He said, "Oh, he spoke to me." And that game, I think he had a good game that game after I said hi to him. So from that point on, <laughs> before every game, that this guy Reggie. He would come like why right before like why right after like after the pregame meeting, uh, he would come in. You know, Reggie is like has a set routine. Like I don't think he likes to be called superstitious. To say he have a set routine that he does before every game. It's down to the minutes, down to the second that he does a certain thing. So he would come into the video room, not come in and with a bang in the video room, boom, 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 hey video. Then have to yell something back to him. Before every game, <laughs> so it just became part of his routine after so, that game. Yeah, before it's freaking annoying. It's like because sometimes <laughs> I don't know what to say. Sometimes I did not know what to say, so it's really annoying. I remember his very last. It was his very last regular season game of his career. I told him to make some damn shots. Then he was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> I was like, he said, like, "What the hell?" And he turned around and was like, "Hey, you guys hear him say?" Told me to make some damn shots. <laughs> like he did have a pretty good game shooting the ball that game, but like, so that became like our kind of our routine. My first few years, I gotta say though, like I didn't come from a background that like really played basketball at a high level. You know, like I played a little bit of basketball in high school in Hong Kong, but that really didn't count much because that's nothing. Um, when I was an exchange student. Uh, in Minnesota, I, I wasn't good enough to make the high school team either. So, like my basketball knowledge is like minimal. Even 
even though after my two years as a manager with the uh, uh, with uh, University of Minnesota, so everything is like uh, I got a steep learning curve. So I we like we didn't stop picking up all this stuff until like one time, uh, one year, uh, when Chuck Person was a um, assistant coach, and he had me help him do uh, stuff, and he had me hey uh, so he gave me a diagrams for teams and they said hey uh, can you uh can you go through this videos just pick up all these plays and put this play calls in it's like oh crap this is tough so that's when i start like uh really pick up like a lot of stuff in terms of uh, the game really try to learn the games that way because another coach is asking you to do some stuff like you gotta be able to deliver so like that's when uh i really started to uh Try to pick, like, try to pick up more stuff in terms of the X and O's uh, uh, of the games. So, yeah, that's that, that that's the beginning of it. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I assume now, you know, having been in the league and doing different roles for sixteen years, like, are you very familiar with the X's and O's and everything now? I mean, I would want to believe so, but like. The thing is that the longer you're in this thing, the, the less you realize that you don't. The, the, the more you realize that you don't know, so it's a it's a constant uh, uh, learning process. A process every day, you know, like you just like like you just kind of like come with everything in life. Is like the more life experience you have, then the more you realize there are a lot of stuff that you just don't know. You have to. Uh, keep an open mind to keep learning. So, even now, like I got a lot of stuff to learn. Like, like I still do. I still help out in in advanced scouting. So, the thing that's like uh, all these different plays. Every team want the same plays and stuff. Like everything get recycled and stuff. So that part is not that hard. But like, in, and then when it comes to like. Like what should we do in this situation? What should we do in that situation? This for me is still a learning process. Now that I'm in the uh, front office in the scouting area, so I kind of have to like switch that mindset a little bit in terms of instead of uh, looking at a team, the the, the X and O's and stuff, uh, try to f- now I have to focus on like how each players can fit into each team's systems and stuff. So like. It definitely helps when you are, when you understand the coaching side of the games because it 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 gives you a different perspective uh, to uh, evaluate the players. Like uh, when I have to do my current job now. And you mentioned it's funny you mentioned before how back then there was only one computer where you guys could do the video stuff. Do do you feel with technology getting better now? Is it easier or harder? To, to do the scouting and all the work that you do now that you have access to, to everything, right? Well, I don't think it, I mean, it doesn't lessen your workload. It's just that now that you can get more information in a, in a shorter period of time. So back in the day, the coaches might only ask you, hey, can you just give me all, give me all of their offense and all of their defense. There's no such, like, because it, it takes time. Because back in the day, it took time to uh, to, to, to even make those edits. Like, I after we get all these clips in the computer, we had to run it, like, one, like, put them all on a VHS tape 
it's a real time if the edit is five minutes long it takes five minutes long you know five 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 minutes and one into the tape if the edit is like 30 minutes long it takes 30 minutes to copy over to the tape so it like now is like everything is on the computer um so like you can you, you can get stuff quick and then like like now 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 like when you when you look at each team uh the video corner how they how they tag the game, how they log the game. They got all this different information. They can put it in live while the game is happening. So so you can pretty much get all those different clips, different edits as soon as the game is over. So so it doesn't necessarily make your job easier. It's just that you are you are you have the ability to provide more information to the coaches in a shorter period of time. So I think at the same time it does I think it actually increase your workload. Yeah, because you know the more you have, the, the probably more expectations for you to yep. pull together more stuff. You know, you've worked with so many different coaches during your time there. You know, Rick Carlisle, Jim O'Brien, Frank Vogel. You know, Nate, Nate McMillan. Now, um, I know you have a, you have a pretty good working relationship with Nate. He gave you some marriage advice. Yeah, like <laughs> I quote, like. Uh, Coach Nate is probably one of my favorites. I mean, they're all good, uh, good men. I was very fortunate to work with all those uh, coaches. But I, uh, so, the I think I have uh, like the relationship that I have with Coach Nate because like since I, I mean, we established a relationship when he first was assistant coach with us. Then he became a, a head coach. So when I, when uh, when I got married, he gave me a card. So he 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 gave me a call like, in there. He's just writing all this stuff. It's a, he 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 wrote a lot of stuff and it's and it's, 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 he just said something like, "Well, marriage is hard, but you got to work through it." Blah blah. Like, all this stuff is like, "If you got any question, you can always come to me." So that that, that I mean, I I don't think he remembers what he wrote in that, but it meant I mean, it meant a lot when 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 when, when things like that came from him because like. There was some time we had some conversation. It almost felt like he's my dad. <laughs> so like I like like uh, he talked about uh, uh, his daughter not calling him back and stuff. And I said, yeah, like I don't always call my parents parents back either. They said, hey, 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 you gotta call them back, okay? Like he would just say he would say something like that. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, we were talking about the last dance earlier. There's so many Pacers connections, right? Like Nate McMillan was on that 96 yep. Sonics team. Obviously, Larry Bird uh, coaching uh, the Pacers. Um, what's your relationship like with some of the guys in the front office, like Donnie Walsh? So, like, uh, so I've, I've known uh, Donnie ever since I started it. So, um, I... I'm not like extremely close, but we have always have good relationships. Like I, like he, I think I have pretty good uh, uh, rapport with him. That he's always treated me very nice, uh, very good. And uh, like so, when he the second time he came back to the Pacers as a president, and uh, he saw me. They say, "Hey, Hanson, why don't you come up to my office and talk?" So like. So so I set up an appointment. We went, I went to see him. So he asked me, say, hey, what do you want to do? Like, how, how's everything? I said, it's great to see you again. See you're still here. And he was like, so what do you want to do? He asked me what, what I want to do at the time. And I said, I wanted to be a coach. Then he was looking at me and said, hmm. He said, 
he wasn't very sure about me being the coach or say okay was like i never seen you play i don't know if you could do certain things but he was like i feel like you would be better in the front office so just at the time i kind of like okay like if you tell me you said that i sh- it w- uh, the front office would suit me better so i i would i would definitely give it a try so that's how that that's when they were still in that time, I kind of like slowly switching my focus from wanting to be a coach to and uh, to, to 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 then to go into trying to be uh, a front office uh, as my career. Yeah, and, and you're working in the front office now. How many? How long have you been working in, the, in your front office role now? I mean, technically, it's only for like two years. Um, I know my very uh, last two years with the coaching staff, I was kind of like a transitioning from uh, from being downstairs to going upstairs. So, but like really in the front office only for two, my last two years. Yeah, what's that been like for you in terms of, has it been a huge adjustment or? I mean, one thing is like you definitely miss being with the team. I mean, traveling with the team was nice like being around with the guys all the time like going through like ups and downs during the season like that part i definitely miss that like the the, the relationship that you can have the players and the coaches uh, every day but but the one good thing about being in the front office is uh, you can kind of you can pretty much make your own schedule um you can spend more time at home um and it's different kind of pressure uh as a when i was in video coordinator uh, uh, working with the coaches uh, you are always under the pressure like your deadline it's the next five minutes you gotta get this done get that done like, I sometimes you get some very last second project from the from 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 from, from the coaches and the head coach will gonna show the, the edits in like five minutes to the team so so that's that's the kind of uh, pressure that I had constantly had when I was a video coordinator now and the front office is, uh, you don't have that that time crunching pressure, but uh, you. But like, I have to be prepared at all times because I don't know uh, when the GM or the president asks me a particular questions. Uh, like when they because like when I when they ask you a question, you better be able to come up with a good answer. So. That's the kind of pressure that 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 that, that being in front of that, and also like when you go scout with players and people ask you for different opinions, like when you say something, you always every time you say something, you get you 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 provide your inputs. You're putting your reputation on the line, so that kind of like makes me have to like keep me on my toes. You know, like I have to know what I'm talking about, and I have to, I mean. I cannot be hundred percent right at the, uh, all the time, but like I gotta be able to present a good uh, opinion that is sound and is solid. So like when I provide my input, I like I sound like what I'm. What I, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's like it's like your opinion matters a little bit more now, right? Yeah. Versus mm-hmm. so, before. Yep. Yep. 
Um, so, so, you know, from, from your time, just scouting, you know, uh, you know, not just with the Pacers, but also I'm sure looking at other teams, players as well. Um, and any stories you can share about players that you might've been right about that people didn't believe in or a player that you really believed in that you were wrong about anything interesting of that nature? Well, like, I don't know if I should comment on any players. I don't know if I can't, but I would just say that, like, Especially, I spend most of my time watching those uh, 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 the G League players. When I when I whenever I see them do well, and, and especially some of the some some of them as the players that I, I that I liked before, you always feel good. Um, I think one thing that I was like sometimes I find my find myself is like there were some players that you don't think who can play. Then I when they become a better player than I expected. I kind of get mad because because I said he couldn't play, but then I I I have to catch myself saying, hey, you know what? It's good to be wrong that way because that guy's doing better. So I should be happy for that particular players too. So at the same time, like we can't get all the players. So even though sometimes if we are right about some players and the team didn't happen uh, uh, to 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 get those players. I mean, we move on, you know, like maybe down the road we can get them back. So, yeah. Do you have a player from that, you know, maybe made it from the G League that you, you know, can point out, whether it was with the Pacers or, or with another team, maybe a player that you really yeah. liked in the G League that ended up turning into a really good NBA player? I mean, I, to be honest with you, I only like watching the G League games for two years, so I can't really say I, there's any players, but like when I saw like, some of the GD players that are starting for Miami Heat this year, that's pretty impressive. I mean, so I feel happy for those guys that they, not only they've been through those GD grind and they work themselves into being caught up, now they're actually contributing. So it, 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 it's good to see those kind of stories. And I, I would say this though, as an Asian, I have heavy Asian bias. So if you're Asian and you can play, I automatically like you. <laughs> who are some of your favorite asian players that you, I, th- I think you mentioned you had you had scouted uh was it utah Watanabe? yeah like uh that was even before i uh that was even before i was um uh the uh, well in the front office so like i just i i just it's like ran like somehow it came across him i never heard of him so then I said, like, who's this guy? So like, so I start doing more stuff about doing more research. Then um, then I did a profile on him, do some video edits, and I, so I like so so I presented to 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 to, to the team, and like, I mean, like he uh, he he came in and he had a good workout, so it was good. I, I mean, it's good that like when they, when something like that happened, it 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 made me feel good. Yeah, well, listen, you, you got to find more um, Asians so we can get more of them in in the NBA. We, we, we need more of them right now. So I, I wanted to ask you about this. So what what is the experience like? Because, you know, there are obviously other Asians uh, in the NBA. You know, I've gotten to know uh, Jonathan Yim, assistant coach on the Blazers and several others. But there's only a few. There's only a few, right? Um, what, what's mm-hmm. the experience of being Asian in the NBA has been like for you? Because you've been with the Pacers for 16 years now. Right. 
Well, I think um, I'm very fortunate on a team that like I didn't really feel like. Uh, how do you say? I don't want to use the word like. You don't feel like an outsider. You don't feel like an outsider. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like they 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 have been treating me fairly. Um, I mean, because I this is the only team I've been with my whole career, so like, it's kind of, I mean, I don't know what other teams are like, so. I I I really appreciate and thankful for all the, the 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 opportunities that they have given me so far, and and going forward, uh, because like for them to show that kind of faith in me is it, it, it is something special. Uh, but at the uh, at the same time, I think as as an Asian in general, I think uh, like th- I, I think. It's, it has just a lot of uh, like stereotype on us. It's like we don't really say much. Like we we're not very good at sports. We're only good at math, you know, like numbers, and doing certain things. You know, like we just don't fit in the mold of sports. You know, like we are not the biggest guy. We're not the most athletic guy. So I think it definitely uh, requires or it takes more effort for us to try to prove ourselves. Um, and at the same time, I know like we had discussed this before, like um, working in sports is just not a really a traditional way to earn a living in Asian culture, in Chinese culture. So I think that's the main reason why that we don't see as many Asian in the industry because, like, you see most people, like most international students, students from China, they come over here, they study science, they engineer, like they became doctors, they become accountant or something like that. Like, even to this day, I don't know if he still staying like that. Like, Donnie was thought I was an engineer. So I, I was never an engineer. I don't know why, but he thought I was an engineer. So I, if you think I was that smart, but so it's just not a traditional way to earn a living. That's why, like most Asian kids, they don't really think about it that much. I mean, they. I mean, we all play basketball. We all just go do stuff. But like, it is just not a. I mean, it's not common to do that, and for the more traditional Chinese parents, they are not going to want their kids to go into uh, something that they are not familiar with. They don't know if they they don't know if their kids can make a living and make money doing this. So, I think this is a major reason why uh, we don't see enough Asians uh, to do that. But at the same time, I do believe that like if you go out there and you see a, a a white guy or black guy or Asian guy they talk about basketball, you probably discredit the Asian first. Hey, what do you know? You know, you know what I mean? It just it just happens that way, but like I think it just that you just have it it, it, it takes more effort, uh takes more time to 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 show that, show to show other people that you can do the job. So I think that's it. And just like, like 
like because like the traditional Chinese value or Asian values is ingrained in the older generation, and uh, and even even now, like you still see most people going to IT engineering route, something that they can make to become successful quicker. So I think that's the reason why uh, you might not see as many Asian people in the sports industry, but like you can kind of see more people now um, uh, coming. Like I think that there there are more uh, uh, Asian. Uh, uh, student managers or maybe some uh, coaches in the college ranks. Uh, uh, I am not familiar f- familiar with them, but like I can, I mean, I think nowadays you will see a little more, uh, like more people coming up have this kind of uh, aspirations. But at the same time, like when well, we don't really have that many Asian players uh, in the league. It's kind of, it's, it is difficult for people to look up to somebody's hey maybe I can do that too you know so 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 hopefully like uh, yeah people like myself like and Jonathan and some other people that are fortunate enough to be in a position that we can probably uh, give some uh, provide some inspiration for other people to try to do it you know like I am very fortunate to have parents that was very, that, that that were very supportive. Even now, they are still very supportive in what I do. And I still remember, like when I told my parents that I wanted to give this basketball thing a try, they didn't really, they didn't shut me down, shoot me down right away. They just said, "All right, you can do that. We support you, but you have to understand this is very difficult because like, we don't know anything about it." But it is all that uh, you have to do this all by yourself. So, so, so I was a, I was a lucky one to have a, a supportive parents like that to uh, support me through all these years. So. Yeah, and I think you brought up so many good points. And the parents' point is really important too. You know, just the fact that they didn't discourage you or even not allow you to take a chance in this field is so important and probably you know so much more than like you mentioned a lot of asian parents might be willing to allow for their kids and you know that's why you know i think your story jonathan's story everyone's story these are important too um you know the fact that you've done such a great job with the pacers that you've been working with them for 15 plus years now you know that's going to play you know whether it's a small part or big part into someone else um whether it's the pacers or in another organization taking a chance maybe on uh another asian who who might be taking the same path as you working as a video coordinator and getting an nba job and i think a really good point too you made is about players right like like there has to be more nba players in the nba i think that's just a fact in that you know, a lot of times coaches and scouts are looked at as people who can relate and connect to players. And if you have more Asian players in the NBA, you can create more of those connections. But you're right. You know, I think it's it's a it's a it's like not just one factor, right? Like it's hard to just kind of pinpoint one thing. Um, it's many different things. But uh, you know, I think it's super cool 
um, what you've been able to do with the Pacers. And it's really cool to hear that, you know, your parents, even though I'm sure they were worried, you know, whether that you could make a living doing this, you know, I'm sure they're not as stressed out now, even though Asian parents are always stressed, you know? Yeah, you know, one funny thing is that before uh, before this podcast, I was, I, I was actually listening to some of your other podcasts. <laughs> No, I was I was I, I was just starting to listen to that one that when you that you guys were talking about uh, the God of Gamblers. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I love that movie, Dawson. I love that movie. <laughs> like that movie. Like, have you ever seen the other one, uh, uh, Dohab and Dawson? No, that's the one with Stephen. There's one with Stephen Chow, right? Stephen Chow like starts yes. doing his own. Um, I yeah, watch a little. I, I watch a little bit of it. That's like more comedy, like more like yeah, straight but comedy. That, like, that, but that movie was so funny. Like that was the <laughs> first movie that like my friends and I we were still in. Like, I think we were still in elementary school. We went to the movie theater the first time, just us four kids. We went to that movie. So funny, but like maybe because you got you and uh, the other guy were talking about like how. He's moving into uh, moving in with his parents now during the p- pandemic, and uh, it's the parents still asking me, "Did uh, if you uh, did you drink any water and doing all that stuff?" My 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 parents still do that. Call me because it's just like like I am forty one years old now. Like my mom still look at me as when I first left Hong Kong. Oh, so for, oh, to for me, sure, to, for sure. Yeah, to I'm... her, I am still like sixteen years old. Oh, for sure. I'm uh, I'm thirty five and. My parents still do the same thing. You know, they ask me yeah. to make sure I drink water. Um, they make sure that, you know, I have fruit um, in, in my fridge and yeah. um, eating vegetables. It's, you know, I, I think, and this might not just be Asian parents. I think this is just but, with a lot of parents, but it's yeah, like, I think so. um, especially our culture, though, um, they'll always no. just look at you as, as the kid that, that they raised. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I was listening to some other like, the other part, the other episodes. Like, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I didn't get to finish the God of Gamblers one, but like, that movie was great. Yeah, that was just an excuse for for me and my friend John to to talk about my gambling issues in my twenties. <laughs> but but I'm but I'm over those now. Um, That's good. So, yeah. So so just to wrap up. Uh, so what's it been like for you now, day to day, ever since? Uh, you know the NBA shut down. You know I think the exact date was like March 11th. So it's been two and a half months now. Um, you know what, what's what's your role been like, uh, and how's that changed now that the NBA's season has been suspended? Yeah. So like, actually, for our job, like for all the scouts in general, I don't think that really affect our job that much. Uh, besides not being able to go to the games i mean i mean i mean doesn't not a games to go to anyways so we can we can pretty much do all of our jobs at home uh but the thing is that like, i'm on the pro side so like i don't really we don't really do anything for the college kids because we have other college scouts to do that so i think they're a little busier than uh the pro scouts um we have some uh conference calls before, like we did some exercise, uh, we talked about some potential free agents. Like, like our teams are pretty set, but we still try to like kind of a couple of guys at the end of the bench and what we want to do here and what we want to do there. Uh, we do some exercise with different scenarios. So, what if this thing happened? What if that things happen? So, 
we kind of just have a different scale. Like uh, we come up with different scenario, just brain brain uh, brainstorms uh, for uh, the executive, so they can have some ideas to think about different things. Uh, if uh, if just in case different situation happened, so like for me, like my day is like we try to just keep a routine. Like my routine is kind of out of whack right now. Like used to like because. Uh, before, I mean, it's kind of crazy that like that was probably like you, like like you said, it's only like two months ago. It feels like <laughs> like it was a couple of years ago when uh, when we could just go out and do stuff. But uh, like, cause I used to keep a really like like a uh, pretty set routine. I wake up super early. Like I I wake up like like four thirty or five. Then I go to work. Uh, I go work out in the office, so I'm done working out before everybody gets in, and I do my job, do my stuff when 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 I'm in the office. And now I just wake up, like little. Um, I don't wake up at 5 a.m. anymore. Like more like nine. Get just absolutely drive my wife crazy because she <laughs> <laughs> she she actually has to. Uh, she's busier than me. She works for a charter school, so she had to. She got way she she, like, she got way more stuff to do than me. So, so you're the lazy time. person. So you're the lazy person in the, the house. I now. am the lazy person now. So like I wake up like I I wake up I read you know like like I read the Bible for a little bit you know then I work out you know at home I like, can't go to the gym I work out then I after I'm done working out like, I don't I I try to I like I. I, I, I try to watch some film, but I'm not. I haven't been very motivated. I just want to educate myself with some college players that that that's projected in the second round because that we that, uh, the second round is you know, we only have a second round pick. So I try to educate myself on them, but like I haven't been too motivated to watch them. Um, and uh, I try to read and stuff. Like and recently, I stopped picking up playing some video games again. Again, that is not good. Like I usually just I like, I'm not playing PlayStation Four or anything. Just play some on like iPad. Then I cook a lot, you know. Like since my like since I'm I'm the one that got less to do, so I pretty much cook every day, you know. I uh, if I mean. Have you ever seen my Facebook or Instagram? Like, I lately picked up Instagram too. Like, I haven't, I've never had Instagram until like, like a little bit before this thing happened. But like, no, all now, my now, stuff. Now is, you have too much time. <laughs> no, like not. But like, all my stuff on that Facebook and Instagram, they're like food, like recipe. So I can go on there <laughs> to look at recipe. Like, you would rarely see any basketball stuff or sport related. Uh, stuff on, on 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 anything I post, so uh, so that's I mean, and I I like to read, so I read a lot of uh, read, read read a lot of books. And one thing about like the library, like that you can still get ebooks, so which is good. So I try to do that. Um, so that's pretty much it. Like uh, uh, we don't now like just once in a while. Like we have a company wise uh, a conference call every week. So that's pretty much it. Like, um, like some sometimes you try to reach out to other teams, uh, to talk to other teams about different things. But like this time, like this, this time, it's like people kind of like. I mean, I know we all have a lot of time right now, but like it's kind of hard to get a hold of people at the same time for some some reason. <laughs> yeah, I think people just are not very motivated, and it's understandable to to do anything. 
right yeah. now? Like like whether you're working, you know, for an NBA team or or something else. Um, right. I think it, it's just really hard for people to find motivation. And I don't really blame people. Um, like we're living in a global pandemic right now. <laughs> like yep. there's bigger things to deal with. And sometimes, and this is not to like make, you know, your job, my job, whoever's job sound not important, but you know, right. in the grand scheme of things, it's not right. Like we're, we're dealing with something that's bigger right now. So, so yeah. it sounds like you, like everyone else is kind of just, you know, you like everyone else in the NBA is just kind of waiting to see what they do and if they're going to come back. Yeah. I think that's not the only thing we can do, but like, I know like you and I talked about it before. Like you just mentioned that like at the, in the grand scheme of things, like sport is not really that important, but like, at the same time, I was like, we can look at it. It's like, you know what people, people do want sports back. Like when NASCAR came back, they had, they had, they had got the most viewers in, in part on, on TV and probably in the history. NASCAR, we're talking about NASCAR. So people are dying to watch any live sports right now. So I think at the same time, I think it shows that like 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 uh, sports and like and like entertainment in general uh, does provide relief to, uh, to 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 the general public, and it does play the role. I pretty I think it's actually like more important than we think. That you no know, like people just need something to relieve them from this day-to-day stress and stuff, even when right now, I mean, especially now everybody got cooped up in their house. So I think like, like we, 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 we do play a bigger role than we thought we, uh, we, uh, we, we did uh, in, in the society. So, I mean, and I think it'd be great uh, when uh, everything comes back that like not I I I don't think we will ever be uh, normal like we used to, but like even though it's no difference, I think this is an opportunity for everybody to uh, we 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 invent themselves and like I think now it's like even like uh, even a even a new opportunity for teams and like just entertainment in general to find more way. I think that the now. Now nowadays the virtual space has even become more important because that you can uh, really uh, give people the kind of access that they never had before. So I think like uh, despite the circumstances, I think there was some positive can come out with this pandemic. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point about sports, you know, being more important than maybe we thought. It's funny. I mean like we're recording this on monday and you know yesterday there was like that charity golf match with like tiger woods and tom brady phil mickelson and peyton manning and it just makes me realize like you know when when life was normal before all of all of this like i wouldn't have paid attention to that at all like it makes me realize how much sports we had before this um like like how many games you wouldn't watch or wouldn't have time to watch And, and now like you mentioned like with nascar or with the charity golf tournament it's like people are just starving for anything um like even the last dance uh, i think was good for people to just get together on sunday to to watch and to talk about it to take their minds off things so you know what whether the nba season comes back or or not this season in some form i think you know if it does and they're able to do it in a safe manner i think it'll be great Uh, but you're right it's um you know, when things do get back to normal, whatever normal is, it's definitely going to be a new normal and things aren't going 
to be the same again. But but Hansa, I really appreciate you taking the time to um, you know chat about your career, share some fun stories, and you know I hope when this is all over, um, when you get a chance to travel again, come to Toronto. Uh, I can't wait to definitely connect in person. Absolutely, man. I'm uh, glad to be up here chatting with you today. It's a great time.